and welcome back to the Utah Film Pod. My name is Josh Terry. I will be your host today, tonight, in the middle of the morning, whenever you're listening to this. And I will be joined by Mark LaRocco. Mark, it's been a little while. It has. Yeah. How you been? I'm doing well. I'm glad to hear it. Anything anything exciting going on? Any, any major life changes? Well, yeah. We are... Uh... Next week, our family and my parents and my sister's families are going to California for my sister's wedding, and um, I will be performing the wedding. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. Have you ever done that before? No, I haven't. I was going to say, I, I, that sounds like it's kind of a first, first time experience. Yeah, it is. I, 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 I had to go get ordained online as a Universal Life Church minister. Um, Literally, you can go to getordained.com or org, and it's like two minutes. And um, I told her it was funny because I, um, you know, in my, my day job, I get people divorced. So it's like the opposite <laughs> of what I normally do. <laughs> it's nice so you're to, just it's nice to balancing things to out. Bring a balance bit. to the force, right? Yeah. That is yes, yes, <laughs> very much so. Wow. So, so are you nervous about this at all? I mean, is that not do you, really. Do you feel any pressure as the guy doing the thing instead of being, you know, because you've you've been you've obviously been married yourself. Yeah, I I'm not that much pressure because they're they're doing it. It's partly like to have the family there and have the kids there and kind of have a special moment, uh, you know, at a destination wedding, and then they're going to follow it up with a, a temple marriage, you know, and so it's going to be just like a it'll be a special time. It'll just be like my parents and my sister's family. So it'll be a small group of 27 or so. Cause we all have a lot of kids. Okay. Um, and, um, I have two sisters and so, um, it'll be, uh, yeah, in a, in a, in a hotel right near the beach in San Diego and, uh, oh, kind of an interesting, nice. kind of a first. That's great. Yeah. Nice. Well, I, uh, I have just returned from California. Part of the reason it's been, I guess, two weeks or so since our, our last episode, I had my, I finally took my spring break trip. It was a little delayed because I usually go with the window of Weber state spring break, but, but this time I, I kicked it back a couple of weeks. And oh. I made it, I made it to California. I didn't make it as far as San Diego though. I went down I was in Joshua tree. I was over in death Valley, uh, basically driving around in the desert, taking pictures of rocks. Mm. So that's, uh, that's how I spend my spring break. Do you, and, uh, okay. Do you ever go yeah. <laughs> rock pounding? Do you, do you look for uh, rocks no. or just, oh, okay. No, no, it's, it's not, like I say, it's, it's really kind of when I take a step back and think about what I typically take pictures of when I'm driving around to these places, you know, whether it's delicate arch or, you know, whether it's in Yosemite or, or, you know, in death Valley, you know, you've got these really brilliant places like, uh, um, uh, the manly beacon and the uh, painter's palette. And it's like, they're all basically rocks, you know, mm. they might, might be mountains or they might be arches or rock formations and stuff, but it essentially boils down to me driving around in the desert, taking pictures of rocks. So <laughs> at, at choice times of the day, but, yeah. uh, but that's not why we're here. Is it um, I, to talk about well, my strange eccentric? <laughs> well, what that reminds me of is like, if you were to pitch that to somebody, like, have you ever heard of that? That I think there's a website that talks about like boring pitches of movies. Like, um, describe a movie, uh, like even a famous good movie, in the most boring yeah. way possible. Yeah. 
Like I have heard drive this. Drive around yes. in the desert, take a picture. It's like, you know, two people fall in love on the boat sinks or, you know, whatever, you know, you just, yeah, right. you think just, of, you, you oversimplify things to the yeah. point where it strips it of, uh-huh. of what people actually, yeah, that's. Yeah. Some or, some human like, like creatures go on a walk. Ab- abandoned to child land. fights burglars. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's great. That's great. Okay, well, we do have some movie related stuff to uh, catch you guys up on. Uh, in fact, we have three. Well, I guess we can't say brand new because two of them ha- uh, came out last weekend. Uh, but we have three movies to talk about for you and to review. Um, and. Uh, I guess we'll just try to jump into the first one. Um, Renfield is the one that is coming out this weekend. And if you remember from an earlier episode, uh, this was one of the movies that I was uh, kind of looking forward to. In fact, I think I, I think I put it on my list of most anticipated, right? Because we had the most anticipated and the most dreaded, mm-hmm. I think, is what we were doing. And, and Renfield was one of those that I when I saw the little breakdown for it, I just thought, this... This has potential. This could be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, the basic story is that Nicolas Cage plays Dracula in modern times. Um, and that might be all you need, really. I mean, just that idea by itself is just kind of a winner. Um, but Nicholas Holt, who you might know from uh, the X-Men movies, from Mad Max Fury Road, or from About a Boy, if you go back far enough, uh, he plays Renfield, who is considered... Uh, Dracula's, well, I think the term they use in the movie is familiar, which means it's like his special servant. So, so he shares some of Dracula's powers, you know, such as immortality uh, in exchange for basically being his, you know, right-hand man Mm -hmm. slash servant slash, you know, do my gopher kind of, yeah, gopher. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and there's kind of a, they don't explore this a whole lot, but they started off with kind of a fun twist where, um, I mean, the, the basic premise is that of course they're in, they're in modern day and, and Renfield is straining with the codependence of this relationship. In fact, to the point where he's going to a support group, kind of a, uh, I don't know what they would call it. It's, it's an alcoholics anonymous type group, but it's for people in, toxic relationships oh codependence anonymous yeah Yeah. basically basically and and so he's there to try to reconcile this long-standing relationship that he's not happy with Uh, but he also uses it as a way to find victims for dracula Um, not the people who attend the meeting but the people who the attendees are struggling with so like there's a woman there who has a who has a toxic relationship with her boyfriend, and he goes after the boyfriend to make the boyfriend Dracula's victim. Does that make sense? Uh-huh. So there's kind of this noble thing, but like I said, they don't really push that a whole lot, and that might be part of what I wasn't crazy about with this movie because my takeaway, uh, and I you know I kind of realized this I would say a good two thirds of the way through, is that I love this idea. I mean, like I said, just the idea that Nicolas Cage is playing Dracula is a winner. That's a fantastic idea. Such great fun. Nicholas Holt is awesome. And I would love to see a movie of just the two of them, you know, in the modern day being Dracula and Renfield. Um, what doesn't work is that 
somehow, and I don't know if it's because they were trying to find some way to tie them into modern times or to try to have more of kind of an action, I don't know. Basically what happens is that in the process of getting Dracula some victims, Renfield gets caught up in this local showdown. They're, they're in New Orleans, by the way. Uh, some showdown between a local drug cartel, some crooked cops, and a good cop who's played by Aquafina, who is trying to bring the corruption down. Mm. And it's basically a vehicle to help Renfield kind of like the, the crux of the movie is, is Renfield going to be able to finally break from Dracula or is he going to be stuck with him for eternity? And they spend too much time on this convoluted vehicle plot, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. That it just feels like, you know, I just want to see Nicolas Cage vamping it up literally yeah. as Dracula. Yeah. And, and Nicholas Holt is awesome. And, you know, and Aquafine is fun. She's, she's fine. I mean, I, I enjoy what she brings to, you know, to the movie, but it's such a kind of convoluted story and it's not even a subplot. It's kind of like the main surface level story. And so it doesn't, it doesn't kill the movie. I mean, you still, you know, I would, I would still call it a good movie with a lowercase g. You know, it's, it's somewhere in kind of that two and a half, three star range where, you know, I mean, I don't have a whole lot of things that I would say, oh, they did this wrong, they did this wrong, they did this wrong, right? It's fine, but man, it just feels like it could have been better if they would come up, had come up with a different way of interpreting that premise. Hmm. Um, they do put a lot of emphasis on the over-the-top gore. I mean, it's, a, it's an R-rated movie, which in this case, you know, you, you see how, yeah, I guess it makes sense in terms of because, because the gore and the violence is, is, you know, it's played for laughs mm -hmm. and it's meant to be crazy and, and, and like I said, kind of over the top. And so, so it's gory, but not in the sense that, you know, you know, this is, this isn't saving private Ryan type of yeah. type of gore. This is, this is closer to Monty Python, that, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, the the language is there for the R rating, which feels a lot less necessary because this is supposed to be more of a comedy, um, and so it, it almost feels a little out of place there. So, yeah, there were just I don't know. Like I said, there is a really great core idea here that I think, if executed differently, really could have been something special, and instead we got something that was just fine. So it sounds like it's not as good as the unbearable weight of massive talent. No, no, because that had, you know, that, that also felt like it could have been better, but I think that they did a better good, they did a better job of realizing its potential mm -hmm. as far as a, a, a good idea and a good movie. This felt like a good idea that was just fine. Like yeah. I say, it, you know, it's, if you go in with reasonable expectations, it's fine, mm -hmm. you know, but know what you're getting into. Cause like I said, it's a very, it's a very R rated film in terms of its language and it's, you know, gory violence. I mean, it's, it's the kind of thing where when, when Renfield has his vampire powers and gets in fights with, you know, the, the cartel, I don't even know if it's a cartel. It's just like, just gang Lords, drug Lords, you know, mm -hmm. and he'll like, 
kick somebody in the arm and their arm will fall off, yeah. you know, or he'll, he'll kick somebody in the head and their head will explode, you know? And so it's like, it's not realistic at all, right? but it's still gory. And so be warned. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of comic violence where they, it, yeah. it's over the top kind of like, right. No, it's meant to be comic bloody. for sure. And, and that's how vampire movies are. I mean, I, it's, if you notice, it's, it's pretty hard to make a vampire or a Dracula movie that's, like, for kids. There's always extra blood. There's always that... Because um, you think of what Dracula is. Well, it, it's all, There's always, like... Yeah. I mean, are there are there those kind of movies? I'm trying to think well, of... Well, I mean... Well, I'm thinking okay, of, like, so, Bram Stoker's Dracula, an interview with the right. vampire. Um, well, we're talking about contemporary vampire movies, right? Because... Nowadays, what we do in the shadows. Well, yeah, that I mean, that was played for laughs, right? right? I mean, that was, and that one, to be honest, if if somebody's looking for something that's a lot funnier, like what we do in the shadows is mm-hmm. is funnier than this. Um, but if you look at kind of the original vampire movies, like the, you know, the Bela Lugosi, Dracula, and the the Nosferatu, you know, which was the silent film. I mean, obviously, we're talking about movies that are, you know, give or take a hundred years old. But I think it's really more of kind of a modern day thing that is demanded that we have buckets of blood mm-hmm. and ramped up sexuality and all that kind of thing. And 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 honestly, like not that I'm any kind of scholar on on vampires, but I don't think that the violence was the point. Right. You know, I, I think that kind of gets away from what the character is supposed to be. Um, now, I I can't 100 percent say with any certainty whether people would love this but there's there is a similar vampire comedy called love at first bite that came out somewhere around 1980 give or take um with george hamilton as the vampire uh a comedian named richard benjamin was he plays the boyfriend of the woman that dracula falls in love with and it's kind of a romantic comedy um it's you know PG movie, right? Mm-hmm. Because now, now again, this is a comedy. This is not like you're saying with, with Bram Stoker and, and uh, interview with the vampire. I mean, funnily enough, we haven't even mentioned the twilight movies, which were all PG 13, but yeah, I guess you're right. Those, I, well, those well, but more, I, those are like teen lit. I, I mean, they're not. Yeah. yeah. I, I didn't even think of those. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I, but I think you're right in that in, in contemporary times when people think vampires they think about like the sexual side of it, mm-hmm. the violence, the blood, like for, all of which is absolutely a part of it, but it doesn't yeah. have to be over the top. Like true blood. Yeah. I mean, a vampire right. character, I, I've always thought of it as sort of a doomed melancholy. It, it's a, it's a curse really. And it's not, right. it's not meant to be fun at all. And, mm-hmm. and it doesn't have to be extremely bloody. I mean, I know it, you know, Dracula does, and it is at least a little bit, but, um, it's really a, just sort of about the saga of a tortured soul and how he, he or, you know, or she is going to man live there, live out their eternity. And, um, I, I did like interview with the vampire and all that's kind of going back far, but that, that was, that was a fascinating movie to me. Um, yeah, but yeah, so you probably did don't you... recommend Renfield. What were you going to um... say? Well, I would I would recommend it with an asterisk. Yeah. Uh, if you if you go in with, with with marginal with kind of more you know tempered expectations, 
it's kind of a fun, forgettable movie mm-hmm. that if you're really being critical, you kind of wish that they had done something a little better. Yeah. Um, but, but there's enough to entertain you. Uh, now I was, I was, uh, I was also going to ask, did you see the Herzog version of Nosferatu? From, no, I've only say seen 1979. Yeah. Klaus Klinski. I've only seen yeah. the original Nosferatu. Okay. So I rented it about a year ago. I want to say like on Amazon or something. And, it was pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, it's it's basically a remake of Nosferatu, you know, the the old the old mm-hmm. one. Um, and I mean, there's well, I mean, we we don't want to go down too much of a rabbit hole here, but I know that there's a, there was a really there was it was a dramatized version of the story behind Nosferatu. Oh, Shadow of the Vampire. Yes. Yeah, I've seen yes. that. Did you see that? Yeah. I'm trying to remember. I'm not sure if I did wind up seeing that. I, mean, I think I might have just heard about it. I but uh, it's pretty cool. It, it's because there's a theory that the reason that I think it was Max Schreck was able yes. to play the vampire so well is because he was a vampire. <laughs> like right, he, he was right. Dracula, and he had that curse that Dracula has. And so yeah. that's what this movie is about. And it has William Defoe, and I I can't remember the other main actor in it, but. You know, it's almost like not that hard to direct him because that's kind of what he is. You just have to control where he goes. And um, yeah, it, that was kind of a comedy, but, you know, very dark comedy. Um, that would have mm-hmm. been in the late 90s, probably. I don't remember when it came out. It's been a while. But yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and this may sound contradictory to what I, I said a few weeks ago, but I almost have the same feeling about Renfield that I do about Cocaine Bear. Mm-hmm. Where it's a fun concept, it's really over the top. They're they're being really crazy and and kind of nutty and stuff. But the way you know, I almost I almost come away from both of those feeling like, yeah, I might have done it a little bit different. I kind of wish they would have. It could have been better. It could have been like a true true cult movie, you know, yeah. real real something really special. But you know, they're fine. Fine. They're fine. <laughs> okay. So anyway, um, so that's that's check check box number one. So Renfield is one coming out this weekend. Uh, as we as we said, it is it is definitely rated R. Um, how about we switch to the opposite side of the spectrum, rating wise, <laughs> okay. and talk about one that I know is going to plug into our youth as well as the youth of I don't know basically everybody in the last 30, 40 years, uh, Super Mario Brothers was a uh, now the, the animated one but because they had the the 1993 live action one which I know I never saw mm-hmm. um, I don't know if you saw that one but uh, I know it, it's got kind of an infamous uh, reputation because even though the the brightly colored animated fun kind of imaginative world of the video game uh, was what made everything so popular, in the live action one, they just decided to make it kind of a dark, dingy mm-hmm. movie in a sewer. Yeah. Um, but that's irrelevant because we're talking about the new one. Uh, you want to kick this one yeah, off? Yeah. Yeah. So I can let me preface this a little bit. Uh, Please. I've always been a Mario fan. I played it when I was little. Um, the first three, I just call them the original three, but it's Super Mario Brothers one, two, and three. I had all those games in the late '80s and played them enough that I conquered all of them you know beat, beat all the levels and 
What is the term? What? Is there is there an official because so so the original Super Mario Bros. That's the only game I ever passed, and I don't know whether to say I passed it, I beat it, we, I won. We used to say I conquered it. it. I don't know if that's right. Okay. but when I was when I was younger, we would just say if you conquer the game is if you beat the whole game. I don't okay. know what they because I'm obviously not a gamer, so yeah. I don't know the vernacular. And I'm not really either. Although I, we did get a Nintendo, my wife got me one a few years ago, and it came with a <laughs> a cartridge that had like 30 games on it, so you don't have to have all these individual nice. cartridges. So we have those. Uh, those three, and I got to play them again, and my kids got into them, and then they got into all of the Mario offshoots that I've never played, like Mario Odyssey and Mario Maker and Mario Planet and Mario Universe, and I always make stuff up to make them mad. I mean, there's no Mario Planet and Mario Universe, but, you know, there's a bunch of just tons of games now. Um, Yeah. And well, so, I know Mario Kart is kind of the biggest. Mario Kart is actually one of the one, top-selling right? games of all time, apparently. Yeah, yeah, Mario Kart 8. and then, But then there's all these offshoots, like Luigi's Mansion 3. They like that one. And Yoshi's <laughs> Island. Um, okay. And so, anyway, when, this, when I found out about this movie, even a, probably four months ago or something, and I told the family, I'm like, we're going to go. We'll take you guys to it. And I knew, yeah. I'm like, it's going to make a ton of money. It doesn't even have to be good. I could tell... Because everybody yeah. I knew, it seemed like, had some Mario connection. And everybody, kids were playing it. And Nintendo, I feel like, is making a comeback in the last few years. Um, there just seems to be Mario, a lot of Mario stuff everywhere. And so I figured that worldwide, this would be a popular movie, mm-hmm. even if it wasn't great. And it made $357 million this past weekend. I World, mean, worldwide. Worldwide, right? it's already at a third yeah. of a billion. Um oh. And, uh, oh, you, you were right. Yeah. And I, and I was thinking about that. Cause I remember, I remember you saying this was gonna make a ton of money. Yeah. And I remember thinking when I saw it, cause I, I want to say it was like 200 domestically, wasn't it? Something I like that. I think it was, yeah, it was around there domestically. Which um, these days is amazing. Well, yeah. Especially <laughs> like, for a non-Marvel movie, I would say, or, a, yeah, yeah. um, although the Marvel movies are starting to go down, downhill, but, mm-hmm. um, yeah. And so. Really, it, I guess with the premise, for people who don't know, I mean, you have these Mario Brothers, Mario and Luigi, and, um, and the, the villain, the main villain, uh, who is the king of the Koopas, is Bowser, who's played by Jack Black. And Mario and Luigi are Chris Pratt and Charlie Day, respectively. And um, they are in, they're in Brooklyn, and they're just plumbers. They're, you know, that's their mm-hmm. job. And they don't know anything about supernatural, like mushrooms or actually yeah. going into pipes or having to kill Goompas or anything like that. They are um, in Brooklyn and then they get sucked into to a pipe where they go to the Mushroom Kingdom. Uh, well, actually, Mario does. He uh, Luigi goes to the Darklands and is captured by Bowser. Um, okay. And so then Mario has to find Princess Peach, who um, apparently there's a kind of a weird origin story there that... Um, that she she talks about, but anyway, they're gonna go and try to try to defeat uh, Bowser and and get Luigi back. And um, I think Anya Taylor Joy is the voice of Princess Peach. Yes, yeah. And right. with Mario uh, he, or with Bowser, his motivation, which is revealed in kind of a funny moment in the movie, is that he doesn't just want to like conquer and kill all of his enemies, which are all the good guys. He wants to marry Princess Peach. That's yeah. that's his goal. And and I mean, he's just so 
filled with love. Uh, he's so enamored of her that he writes songs and sings them about her, which is, of course, he, Jack he's Black. A lover, he's a lover and a fighter. Yeah, he's a lover and a fighter, and apparently a composer and a pianist <laughs> and a singer. So, you know, it's like, I wonder if Jack Black now has to, like, put a song in every movie, kind of like how Christopher Walken has to dance in every movie. Um, yeah. Because, you know, obviously, I, well, I don't know this. I don't know all the Mario games and all the spinoffs, but I don't think Bowser is a singer and a pianist. Um, I doubt it. I don't know. Anyway, uh, so yeah, and it's you know it's an animated movie, and um, I think it hits a lot of the beats that you would expect from from Mario, uh, with the kinds of things Mario does, where he has to jump and punch things, and he eats mushrooms to become bigger, and there's different power ups, and everyone in the the movie mm -hmm. knows about power ups, or they yeah. have to teach you know Mario and Luigi about them, but um, and people some of the Figures have the power to place power-ups where they want to, even for like training sequences or whatever. And um, so, I mean, that for me was was the fun the fun part of the movie was being able to recognize. I, I guess we call them Easter eggs, you know, right? Like yeah. little little moments that are like, oh, I recognize that from this game, or that's from this game, or that's a fire flower, you know. And and I kind of wondered, like, what if somebody had very little familiarity with any of the Mario games if they would just be like kind of confused and maybe even maybe entertained maybe not I don't know but wouldn't really recognize those things would it still be that yeah. entertaining to them because um, I think it just assumes that you've played Mario sometime in your life which of course you know came out 40 years ago um, and so a lot of people are taking their kids to it the kids have played it and probably the parents have played it and I think that's one of the reasons it's making it's going to make a billion dollars you know mm -hmm. um so and I, I thought it was fine I mean I wasn't like as impressed as I, I'd hoped to be with it um but it wasn't it wasn't like a a bore or anything to sit through yeah um I loved Fred Armisen did you know which character he was oh you know I remember seeing his name in the credits but I forgot who he, he was played. Cranky Kong he was like the head of Donkey Kong land okay um okay he had that sort of like uh like brooklyn with a cold sort of accent and i've heard him do it on snl before um okay. i just thought he had the funniest he did such a funny accent um yeah because they recruit donkey kong mm -hmm. part way through to go on this yeah this quest with him right also, well that's that's what i was going to say to your to your, yeah. your point was that i think that the i mean for one thing the movie pretty much mimics the the plot of the game in the sense that it's a couple of plumbers in this magical world who have to fight their way to save a princess from the monster Bowser, right? I mean, well, it's very... They, they, they play around with a little bit with Luigi being a prisoner. Yeah, they've updated the princess, a little bit because the princess yeah. is, a, um, is one of the the saviors, one of the fighters. Right. I mean, in the original, but, like, but, Donkey ev Kong. But eventually, they put her in a position where Mario has to be the hero. Right. Like, by, by the end of the movie, it's he's he's having to save the day. Mm -hmm. um, but what I was, what I was going to say was that I think that the basic, you know, hero's journey story is straightforward enough that even if you didn't appreciate all of the little details that were there for fans, mm -hmm. I don't think anybody's going to have a tough time following this. It's, yeah. this is not a complex movie and even the jumping around and hitting, you know, hitting bricks and all that kind of thing. 
it's the, the movie isn't so dependent on that stuff that I think anybody would be lost without the background. Yeah. There, I, for some reason, maybe I'm getting, so I thought it was, it had some charm to it. Um, and, and it was sort of light fare, but I was expecting it to be wittier for some reason. I don't know why yeah. I was expecting yeah. more p- pretty funny, like one liners um, and there were a few, um, but it wasn't like just laugh out loud funny the whole time. I, I feel exactly like you. Yeah. I thought the movie was fine. I wasn't blown away. Um, I wasn't especially impressed by it, but I can see why it's in a perfect position to make a lot of money. It is very safe. It's entertaining. It's safe. The music's yeah. great. Um, I, like, yeah. I recognize oh, yeah. all well, the themes. From no, it. I loved, like, that's, that's one of the things that I enjoyed was, oh, they go, you know, they go down underground and you can hear that special, da, 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 that da, da, little riff. Yeah, right, riffs. And, right. Mm-hmm. So that, that stuff is a lot of fun. Um, what I was going to, uh, one of the things that jumped out to me was that it is funny in places and it is definitely fun. But when you compare it to a movie like the very first Lego movie, mm-hmm. I think, you know, that was a movie that was not only fun, but man, that had so much personality and wit and it was really smart and they were having a good time. And I mean, they weren't doing anything crazy or dangerous or daring, but you didn't feel like they were just kind of going through the motions and being safe either. And that's the criticism I have for Mario is that it doesn't have that same personality or charm and it doesn't really feel like they're doing anything you wouldn't expect them to do. And so it kind of feels like they're checking their boxes and getting out the door. Yeah. I, I can't think of an example right now, but there were a few lines where I was predicting the line in my head. And I was like, <laughs> that was too obvious. They should have gone, yeah. they should have taken a left right. turn there or something, you know, right. um, that right. a character was saying. And yeah, I, it's funny you mentioned that because I was, I was talking with my son about the Lego movie and he was, he was kind of putting together during the movie like that it was Star-Lord and it was, um, oh, it's another character Chris Pratt played. But like, um, and then I was talking about the Lego movie. I'm like, that's Emmett too. Like that's the voice of oh, Emmett. Yeah. And, yeah. and the Lego movie was just, miles better than this i mean it was so funny and just like a lot of a lot of pop culture references which i always like i mean this one you didn't have many i didn't need to you know it wasn't i wasn't looking for that but um well and i think something else that hurt this movie and and when i say hurt i say this with full acknowledgement that as you have pointed out it's on its way to a billion dollars plus yeah i mean this is going to be a tremendous financial success obviously um, but in the spirit of, of honest criticism, you know, Mario doesn't really go through much of a character arc. I mean, mm-hmm. when we see him in the flashbacks, he's already the hero. He's the one who's kind of defending Luigi and all this. And so I kind of felt like, you know, that, that might've been a missed opportunity where, where Mario kind of has to, you know, cause they play around with the idea that he's got to kind of grow into his powers and get used to this new world and stuff. But I never really felt like there was a point A and a point B for him, mm-hmm. you know? And I mean, I'm not, I'm not expecting, you know, Godfather level character arcs in, you know, yeah. animated adaptation of a video game. And, you know, that's, that, that is one thing I noticed though, was that it kind of seemed like what you see is what you get. Yeah. It's not going to be anything I, too surprising. I feel like one reason they did that is since there's two of them, and Luigi is the scared one, and he's the one that's always full of fear. 
if it had been one person, like one on a quest, maybe they could have started out with Mario right. being more afraid or ha maybe having a problem with just being too timid and having to like find his courage throughout the movie. But he already kind of had it, you know, it, like you said, it was right. just, I've got to right. go get my brother. I've got to say, I've always been my brother's protector. Um, and uh, so, yeah, but the, going back to the music, um, I just, I looked at them because I couldn't remember it. It was Koji Kondo. That was the original Nintendo oh, yeah. composer of those songs. Um, and so many of those themes, I love the kind of more grand orchestral arrangement that they did of, of those original songs. Because uh, I, I, I kept noticing it, you know, and you probably did too. Like I was, I and mean, I was kind of looking for it or listening for it, you know, like, oh, that's from, you know, Super Mario 3, or that's when you, you have a power up star, you know, like, um, so that was, that was, that was cool. I'm glad that they did that. And then they had sprinkled in like, you know, ACDC and Mr. Blue Sky, you know, like different, few yeah. other different things. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, so here's maybe maybe here's our exit question, okay? Because you know technically this movie falls in the genre of video game adaptations, which is a, a pretty notorious genre. Um, how would you how would you rank this one compared to other uh, successful, maybe not successful, maybe terrible adaptations of video games? Is this is this the best one we've seen? I mean, I can't even think of. Uh, I'd have to I'd have to think about that because I don't know I don't I don't think it would be the best yeah. one, but I'm I'm trying to think of other ones I've seen that because I haven't really seen a lot of these video game adaptation movies. Yeah, um, I mean off the top of my head I'm thinking about like the the Tomb Raider movies. Um, you've got I think there was, was it a Halo movie or was it there was a Halo TV series last year. Yeah, well, and then there was. Oh, see, yeah, just like you said. I mean, just off the top of your head, it's kind of hard. Uh, what was the one with Michael Fassbender, uh, Assassin's Creed, a few years ago? Oh, okay. And I've, I have seen some of these. I mean, I've, I've seen Assassin's Creed. I've seen, you know, Tomb Raider. Uh, and there was there's another one from a really popular franchise that came out, you know, a few years ago where there's lots of green characters. And I can't remember the name of it, but... One thing I do remember is that few, if any, of these movies have been any good, mm -hmm. and and they just really struggle. And I have a theory behind it, and I'm gonna I'm gonna drop this, and then then you know get your thoughts, and we can move on. I think that the video game genre is the the video game adaptation genre is always going to struggle. Because you are taking a, an active experience and turning it into a passive experience. Because anybody who has all the experience with the game, that's a very active thing, right? You are controlling the characters, you are making the choices, it's your experience. And then you try to turn that into a movie and now you're going to sit back and it's, so it's kind of like almost like watching somebody else play the game. Mm-hmm. Which I know there are lots of really popular YouTube channels and what is it like Twitch channels and stuff where people really seem to enjoy watching other people play video games. I think that that is horribly boring mm -hmm. and completely monotonous. And yes, I'm not a gamer, so maybe I'm not the best person to say. But I think that because of that dynamic, 
video game movies are always going to struggle because I think that the fans are are going to realize that they're missing something that that is just not going to be the same. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, I guess there are gamers and fans and kids who just love watching gameplay. I think that's what they call it. Yeah. And so maybe as long as the movie has those characters in it that they like and make some, you know, add some extra interest to them that you could make a good movie. I mean, I'm convinced that you can make a good movie about anything. So it's going to happen sooner or later. Like someday there's going to be a video game adaptation that's going to get like six Oscar nominations. You know, it's just going to be amazing. Um, maybe we're 10 to 20 years away from that. I don't know. I think I think that's going to say more about the decline of other movies than it's going to say about the rise of video game movies. But that's just my opinion. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Should we should we move on? Anything? Any final thoughts on uh, Super Mario Brothers? Uh, no, I would say it's it's a good, safe, fun movie, and um, I, yeah. I think you'll enjoy it. Like especially in the in the theater, like we were third row, comfy seats. You know, at, at the uh, Cinemark, and we had a good time. Yeah. No, def- definitely a good family option for sure. Yeah. Okay. All right. So that brings us to the third movie, which, uh, in in my opinion. We'll see if you agree. This is the best of the three. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I, I guess I'd have to go through the list of what we've covered so far this year. But this might be my favorite movie this year so far. Oh, it is for sure for me. But I haven't, seen, it as for many, you? I haven't seen as many movies as you have. But well, for sure it yeah, is. But nothing, nothing's jumping out. Jump, nothing is springing to mind as I'm thinking of it. Okay, so anyway. The movie we're talking about is Air, which is the... Uh, dramatic the dramatization of the real life story of the men behind the air jordan basketball shoe and signing michael jordan to nike when he was an nba rookie back in 1984 i think is when Mm -hmm. this takes place um uh, ben affleck plays phil knight uh who is kind of the founder kind of the big ceo of i think he was ceo right the shoe dog yeah the founder The, the shoe dog um uh, Matt Damon plays Sonny Vaccaro, right? Yeah. And and he is kind of tucked away in Nike's fledgling. And, and so just, I mean, just for context, uh, this is, t- this takes place back when Nike was known as a running shoe and that's about it. It was mm-hmm. a distant, uh, you know, a distant participant, mm-hmm. a third, it, it maybe. Uh, as far as basketball shoes, you had Adidas and Converse were kind of ruling the day yeah. you know, back in the 80s. I mean, Converse had Magic Johnson oh, and Larry Isaiah Bird. Thomas and Larry Bird. Yeah, yeah. Um, A lot of people had Adidas. Michael Jordan was intending to sign with Adidas. And so this is the story. Uh, and so, so Sonny Vaccaro is working for the basketball division. He's kind of like this basketball, you know, he's just a, he's a nut. You know, he's watched, watched film. He just knows everything about it. And... Uh, and he decides that in order to put Nike's basketball division on the map, they need to shoot for the stars and take a uh, take a flyer on Michael Jordan um, and do something completely unprecedented. And this is that story. Um, I loved this movie. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, kind of like you were saying, I mean, I can't think of a movie that I have been as impressed with more so far this year now granted we're only in april you know hopefully some more good movies will be coming along but uh but this one just really really well done i i loved the characters 
they were all really clearly drawn. Um, uh, we also had uh, uh, Michael Michael Bateman. Uh, um, Jason oh Bateman. Jason Bateman. You're thinking of Michael Jason from Bateman. Arrested Development, George Michael. Oh, okay, Michael. there we yeah. go. Yeah, Jason Jason Bateman was in there. He works at, at uh, Nike also. Um, He's sort of oh, like the middle Viola, manager, Viola, boss of right, Sandra Carroll. Right. Yeah. But but even in kind of a forgettable role, he still they still kind of gave him a chance to shine. You know, when he's talking about his relationship with his with his daughter because he's he's mm-hmm. divorced. Um, Viola Davis plays Jordan's mom. Um, uh, interestingly enough, they really keep Jordan in the background. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think you hear a couple lines, but I don't think you even see his face. I mean, he you know walks in and out of a couple rooms at a couple meetings. Oh, I have a couple one theories who, about that. About why? They yeah, no, that. and we'll we'll get to all this. Yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot of really great stuff to unpack here. I wonder though if the one who really shines the most, and of course now I'm, I'm I've lost his the, the actor's name, but the guy who played David Falk. Oh, Chris Messina. Agent. Yeah, yeah, Chris he was. Awesome. He, he was hilarious. So, I mean, he just really captured the fast-talking, know-it-all, slime cocky, bag. Yeah, cocky yeah, slime bag. Cut, cut your throat at all, you scum, know, win at all costs. Scum of the earth, like New York sports um, agent. Oh, yeah. So, so, so great characters. Um, considering that this was a situation where everybody knows what's going to happen because we know history, it was incredibly engaging and, uh, you know, suspenseful in the sense that you know, you wanted to know how it played out, even though you know what's going to happen. Right. Um, you know, very, very well written. Um, I, I, I guess, I guess the only thing that I was either disappointed or just kind of feel some regret over is that because they do such a good job of recreating that environment, the language is way too harsh for anybody that you know is uncomfortable with anything beyond a PG-13 because it's it's a very R-rated film in terms of its, you know, it's not wall to wall, but there are definitely scenes where they just, you know, these people are not uh, holding back. Yeah, there's a the, lot of the, swearing the in it. salty language. I, and I remember, that, in fact, one of the scenes, almost like the show stealing scene of the movie, is when Chris Messina, you know, David yeah. Falk, uh, is on the phone with Matt Damon. You know, the son of Vaccaro, yeah. and he finds out that um, he had gone to visit Jordan's family. And, you know, and David Falk is Michael Jordan's agent, and it's sort of yeah. a no-no. It's not like against the law or anything, but it's kind of considered yeah. unethical that you go visit the family of the player. You just talk through the agent. You go through the agent, and he just mm-hmm. unleashes a bunch of very colorful, creative but profane insults. Yeah, into right. Matt Damon's ear to the point where Matt Damon is laughing, like he's not even offended. And, um, yeah, and then, you know, he says, well, if it does work out, then they'll be best friends. And, I mean, it just has a lot of good lines in it. But it yeah. was, yeah, it has a lot of swearing in it. It's definitely an R-rated adult sort of comedy docudrama. Well, and that, that was what jumped out at me, too. I didn't have any clue that it was going to be that funny. Yeah. This is a really, really funny movie. They, they play not, it for laughs. It's not a slap your knee. I mean, they're not trying to turn it into a comedy. It's just funny. It's just you know, funny. The, the and, way that and par- they tell this story, yeah. And I think part of the reason for that is, like you said, I thought the exact same thing. It's not that suspenseful of a movie because we really know the ending. They sign Jordan. He's the big Nike spokesman for, for eternity. He makes billions mm-hmm. of dollars. Um, I think he makes more money from Nike than playing basketball, ultimately. Oh, for sure. 
And so, like, it's not suspenseful in the sense like, well, what's going to happen? You know, we, we know. But we do want to see how it happens. And then we become, we just fall so in love with some of these characters and how, uh, how they interact with each other. And it was cool to see Damon and Affleck on screen again, right? Like, they yeah. haven't gotten to do yeah. that a lot. Um, I think the last duel, which nobody saw, but then Goodwill Hunting from 26 years mm -hmm. ago, um, which was their big Oscar coming out party too, and they yeah, won the right. screenplay Oscar. And so I, I really, I mean, Bateman got to be Bateman, has his dry delivery, you know, where he's kind of sarcastic, but also he, he's got a job to do. And um, Affleck, who directed the movie, and he really can do a good job directing. I mean, he did The Town and... Argo and Gone Baby Gone. Mm -hmm. He's he's had some. Uh, he, I don't know if he's had a lot of misses, and I think this is his either his fifth or sixth movie, and I think I've seen three of them. But yeah, um, thought it was just fantastic. And like you said, the screenplay I, I was loved, almost like a Sorkin type movie. I was uh, going to say that, like yeah. the way the way that there is such an emphasis on the characters and the interaction. You know, it, it feels like the kind of movie where the screenplay is a priority mm -hmm. and, and that, oh, yeah. that art, that art, that performance. In fact, I was going to say that, you know, the Affleck's performances as uh, uh, Phil Knight, I thought, and, and granted, I think, I think that to a degree, we don't have to worry about spoilers here because as we say, we kind of all know what's going to happen in this movie yeah. essentially. But I thought it was fun that they gave Phil Knight kind of a redemptive moment or two at the end, because one of the things that surprised me was how he was really kind of portrayed, not in a terrible light, but he almost was seen as a little, a little goofy, maybe a little bit out of touch and, and kind of, Oh, here's the, the crazy CEO that we have to deal with. Yeah. You know, I mean, it was, you'd, you'd have to say that, uh, that Damon, that, that Sonny Vaccaro, I mean, he's the protagonist. He's the protagonist, uh, and, but there's not really a villain in the movie unless yeah. you want to call Converse and Adidas villains, you know, and, <laughs> but and you don't see them on screen right? that much. It's, but, it's almost like the system itself is the villain, right? Yeah. Because I mean, the, the idea here is that, you know, Jordan already wants to be with Adidas. Converse is huge. Adidas is huge. Nike has, you know, they can't even get a seat at the table. And so one of the major obstacles is how are we going to get yeah. Michael Jordan to sit down and, and let us pitch him this? And that's why, like you say, that's why, yeah. you know, Sonny goes behind Falk's back and, and goes and sits down with Michael Jordan's mom. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and yeah. you know, and, this... and it has this great, idea i mean you you look back at it and it's, and and i think it does a the a great job of showing you how you know you've got these phenoms these in, these incredible players who are already signed but they're going to give give jordan something as a rookie that even larry bird and magic johnson don't have right he's going to get his own shoe he's going to get his know? own shoe he's going to help design it he's going to make more money than anyone has ever on a shoe yeah. deal and um and I mean, that's that why it was so risk. shocking. And it was a huge risk. And so, yeah. yeah, it's one of those sort of like bet the farm underdog type stories, even though ultimately at the end, everybody just makes a ton of money. Um, yeah. and, and it's not. And so, you know, and it's like if it doesn't work out, he's going to his career's over, you know, uh, Sonny Vaccaro's career. Um, but I I think the screenplay was really great in two two ways. One is the narrative structure in 
like the pacing was really good. It didn't really spend too long on certain scenes or go too right. fast on certain scenes. It felt like well paced, like because you were in it the whole time. But also the dialogue. That's why I mentioned it was Sorkin esque. It was really clever uh, dialogue, and 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 it was changed a little bit. Like Chris Tucker, I don't think we mentioned he plays. Oh, Hulk, that's right. right. Yeah, he rewrote some of his own dialogue him. to make it sound it more like me... his like stand up bits or something. Oh, okay, okay. Um, it didn't. I it didn't even occur to me that that was him until like several minutes into the movie, and I realized, oh my gosh, that's yeah. Chris Tucker. And I think yeah. he might still be with. He's one of the two or three people in the movie who's still with Nike as like a VP of of basketball oh, wow. division or something but oh his his character yeah yeah not chris yeah. tucker not not chris tucker <laughs> <laughs> he, maybe he'd want to be with how much money nike has but oh i'm, I'm um, sure yeah it, i just thought so it's kind of like a sports agent movie you know remember how we talked about sports movies last month or yeah. maybe in february but you know i i to me it was similar to moneyball um mm-hmm. the big difference is in moneyball they're finding out how to spend the least amount of money right to get what their right. value to pay the players right. not enough money but to get those wins this was more like how can we cobble together enough money and get jordan at the table and get him interested enough to actually consider us and and yeah. pay pay all this money pay like you know we don't want to spoil it too much but you know pay him a lot of money work out a deal mm-hmm. with him that no one ever has worked out kind of a deal um and but it's similar the similar feel you get from Moneyball like hey the the guy did it the the yeah. the guy that was just working his tail off trying something that no one's tried before and there's even a scene I I sort of call it the Moneyball scene except this was well it was in the beginning Moneyball it was near the beginning of the movie um, when they're in the room uh, Bateman's in there Damon's in there and then all these other guys in there that are working for Nike and they're going through the 1984 draft and it was cool because we got C Stockton's <laughs> name on there. They even talked yeah. about him a little bit. Although at one point, Damon refers to all the players other than Jordan as mediocre. Um, I guess other than Elijah Juan, Jordan, Bowie. Um, and and, and they, they went through these different names, you know, and like talk about how good they were going to be. Like Mel Turpin, you know, who even knows right. oh, what yeah. happened to him. And yeah. um, and then like... Well, we do. <laughs> Damon, yeah, Damon is sort of the, the like, um, the voice, the kind of the crazy voice off to the side, you know, like... The one that just well, he's the same thing that no one. He's no, yeah, he's the cantankerous the one. He's kind of upset because yeah. he doesn't think it's possible, but he just doesn't want to try to sign a bunch of players. He doesn't think are going to be any good, and just still not really compete with Adidas and Converse. Yeah, um, and so and there's a Moneyball scene where you know Brad Pitt is spouting all this sabermetric stuff that's making all these old guys in baseball mad. Um, that all the scouts, yeah, yeah, all these old scouts, like, hey, we ought to get this guy. He's good. He's a good name. He's a big name. He's like, yeah, he's injured. Yeah, what do you want him for? You know, or he's this, and um, so like that was a that was a good scene. Um, there was a really some really good Damon speeches um, that he he gives, you know, and yeah, even sure. a great phone call with Damon and uh, and Dolores Jordan and Viola, and I thought yeah. she was so such a solid. Mm-hmm center i don't want to say the center of this movie because it kind of feels like matt damon's in every scene almost but she was so good in this like the way she goes to bat for her son and i mean it feels like i mean michael jordan's dad is not in the movie or he doesn't have that many lines right it was really he's he's played down he's played down and she's sort of working the whole deal she's almost sort of like this ghost agent for michael jordan yeah you know um and 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 working these deals and kind of telling, being pretty pretty much of a straight shooter with 
with Damon and I thought she was so awesome in this role, you know. Yeah, um, she was fantastic. But I liked that that Michael Jordan isn't shown. I know some people, I, I've heard some people say they didn't like that. And I think there's a couple of reasons for it. For me, one, okay, so one theory is that Jordan did consult on this film. He talked and he, he made some demands about, I guess, some certain characters to play up. One of them was Howard White, Chris Tucker. He felt like that was really important. And I think the other thing was Raveling, George Raveling, who was an assistant coach on the 84 Olympic team. And that was somebody who Matt Damon went to visit to kind of talk yeah, about right. what to do. Um, and he was played by, I think, Marlon Wayans. But I yes. can't remember for sure. Anyway, That's he. Right. Yeah. so there's some things that I guess Michael Jordan demanded or asked for or suggested and they went with. <laughs> and I also think that, well, maybe out of like respect to Michael Jordan, we're not going to try to cast some young actor who obviously won't look exactly like him and have him play right. Michael Jordan when the movie isn't really about him. It's more about... Right. Nike's pursuit of him, you know, and then the other reason is, and I, I, I enjoyed this just as a basketball junkie. There are lots of um, archival scenes and, and footage of Michael Jordan, the real Michael Jordan mm -hmm. in the movie. So I kept yeah. thinking like, okay, that's him. There he is. That's what this whole thing's about. And then if they were going to have this young actor from the 1984 Michael Jordan with hair, but show somebody whose face <laughs> obviously doesn't look like him, I was yeah. just going to Think, it oh, well, it took me out of the movie a little bit. Like, yeah. that's some guy that sort of looks like him and is kind of tall, you know? And, and they could have done something CG, which probably would have not, wouldn't have worked. Oh, no, that would have It would have been bad. Um, yeah. So I just, no, I like I, the way they did it. Because he's always obscured, you know, like Austin Powers style. He's either looking away from the camera or someone else's head was in front of his face. Mm -hmm. And after a while, it took you a couple scenes to realize, oh, they're doing that on purpose. They're not going to show us. Oh, sure, face, you know? sure. <laughs> well, so first of all, I agree with you entirely. I think that the way they did it was the best option and and it works for the movie and does exactly what it needs to in terms of, you know, not not showing him, not making him a an active character in the movie. Um the effect is something that I think I don't think was as intended but it ties into something that I think they allude to. There's, there's a scene later on, and like I said, we don't have to give away you know, too much of the context, but there's an exchange between uh, uh, Affleck and Damon's character um, at the, after the dust has settled and after they've made the deal that, that alludes to something that, in retrospect, really is interesting to me. Um, and it's it seems to, I don't know, by, by making Jordan a presence, but also absent, it also seemed to kind of feed into kind of our deification of, <laughs> of athletes and yeah. superstars and celebrities. And, and man, that was just kind of a sobering thing to think about because, you know, one of those speeches that you mentioned from Damon was just talking about the impact, you know, he, he reaches kind of gets on the soapbox about what Jordan's going to do. And it's, I mean, he's talking about a 20 some year old kid playing basketball and yeah. And yeah, I mean, and I, and I say this in a self incriminating way. I mean, I was completely inspired by Jordan as a kid, mm -hmm. you know, go, going into junior high and playing basketball and, you know, artistically inspired by him and even like 
fashion and stuff. You know, you wanted to look like him and dress like him. And, you know, I, I bought his shoes like mm-hmm. everybody else on the planet. And, and, and so, you know, and, and there is an innocence about that, that, you know, we kind of, in fact, I think they don't, they play the, the be like Mike song at one point. I think um, that, yeah, they from, did. from the, from, was it the Gatorade commercial? But, uh, you know, you kind of think about it in retrospect and think, man, you know, these, these athletes, these celebrities, they're human beings and they're flawed human beings. And wow, I, I appreciated that the movie kind of left that as a question mark. You know, you, you know, the scene I'm talking about when, when Affleck's on the couch and he's kind of, you know, taking a, taking a moment to think about what they just did. Mm-hmm. And oh yeah. I, I, I got a little bit of a hint there that, you know, we're starting something kind of yeah. new. Yeah. Right. And it might not be 100% it, awesome. It might not be awesome, but I think the movie <laughs> mostly other than maybe than that little tiny aside wants to present it as awesome as if Sonny mm-hmm. Vaccaro's a hero and he's kind of a complicated figure in real life, but sure. he, what he did is he kind of ushered in a new era of player and uh, involvement and, and sort of mm-hmm. player stakes in some of these things. And so I think that's partly what it's, you know, what it's about. Oh yeah. Um, no, absolutely. Yeah. And, but what I, what I liked about it though, was that it seemed to leave kind of an open-ended interpretation to the idea that, okay, we're giving Jordan something that no athlete has ever had. And in a, in a sense, it's, it's making, it's giving athletes something that, that they deserve and then you kind of think of it, well, we're, we're looking at this from 2023. Yeah. And as diehard basketball NBA fans who, you know, in small markets have to get used to superstars forcing their way off teams onto other teams and mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. People who want to be in New know, York and L.A. because of yeah, media. Yeah. There's, there's definitely it's a downside too- to this. And, and I, I appreciated the fact that the movie if not explicitly, at least kind of alluded to that because, you know, what was Sonny Vaccaro and Michael Jordan's triumph and triumph for many athletes has had lots of different repercussions. Mm -hmm. And it's, I mean, you, you really see it in light of what the NBA is today and what is, what has happened in the decades since. So, I mean, again, overall, just fantastic movie. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't have asked anything more from it. Maybe a little less language, but yeah, yeah I know. Wouldn't I, it be great? Like if it had just a lot less F words, you'd be able to kind of recommend it to everybody and mm-hmm. it probably would make even more money. I mean, like it, it's doing pretty yeah. well. In fact, Amazon knew it was going to be a hit like a month or so ago when they decided to release it in theaters instead wow. of simultaneously, which is what they always do. It's been four years since they released a movie in theaters and then waited to put it on Amazon Prime. So this is a big deal for them. The last movie they did that with was Late Night. And so um, it's doing pretty well. And I don't even know when it's going to be on Amazon Prime. Probably like two weeks or something. I I don't know. Um, But you know, (laughs) We're going to wait 10 days. I I like that it's in the theaters. The other thing we didn't talk about, by the way, which kind of surprised. I'm sure if Danny were here, she would is the 1980s-ness of this movie. Like, they do not hide from it. They are so proud that this is a 1984 movie, and they depict it as much as possible. Even with all these sort of 
the, these little scenes of famous commercials of the early 80s and whatnot, at, you know, at the beginning of the movie. Yeah, there was a lot nothing of setup, to do right? with the plot other than like, here's our time period. Get ready, folks. Mm -hmm. Get oh, yeah. ready. No, you know, it's, it's generation projecting Xers. you into that world. Yeah. It's so yeah. funny. The, the kind of, um, and, and I feel like they blew the whole budget on the soundtrack. Uh, I mean, it was just <laughs> that one was after a another. Soundtrack. Yeah. One after another. Yeah. I want to listen to it that was. again. Um, they didn't. You got some of the synth pop and the mm -hmm. kind of butt rock, you know, like Sister Christian, and th there was a lot of that. And I was fun. that was fun. That was fun. But I, I wonder how much some of that. Some no, of that it cost. was it was good. And I I was thinking about that too. Was you know especially like you said, is, is the opening credits and the you know the first scenes of the movie. They're very clearly connecting you to the period via you know a heavy do dose of nostalgia. Yeah. Um, but even though the nostalgia is there. It is not the. It, this is not a matter of being blinded by nostalgia and just loving the memories. Mm -hmm. This was a good movie. Oh and, yeah, uh, you know has a, has a lot to speak for. I thought it so. was great. Yeah, I, I I mean I could see this being on my my list at the end of the year. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe not, but you know I there's still a lot a lot to see. But definitely nice to have a sort of a norm. I don't want to say normal, but just like a. <laughs> you know, comedy drama that's that feels not just because of the whole eighties that I was talking about, but it does feel kind sure. of old fashioned in a way that you just don't get a lot of these movies in the theater uh, these days. Absolutely. All right. Any final thoughts or uh, anything? Anything to send the people off with? Well, I do need to issue a correction from our last podcast. Remember when we were talking about Zach Braff, Garden State, oh, and his yeah. new movie, A Good Person, that you reviewed. And yes. I was thinking The Last Kiss was his movie, and it wasn't. It was Tony Goldwyn. He was oh. in it. I think he was the star of it, but it was Tony okay. Goldwyn, who was an actor in, um, like, Scandal. He was in the movie Ghost. He's directed a few movies. Oh, yeah. But he's, he's been in a lot of movies. He was, he was the, pre the U.S. president in Scandal, and then he was kind of like the bad guy in Ghost. And he'd been in a few things over the years. Was he in something recently? Yeah, yeah. He's been in... Um, I don't remember what he was in very recently, but yeah, he's been in stuff like, yeah, yeah. Anyway, that's who directed. Uh, I, I don't want to mislead. Well, everybody. thank you for clearing so. that up, Mark. I think that uh, you have restored our loss. <laughs> We've restored the integrity cool. of Utah I, Film Club. Uh, I, uh, I, I would hesitate to go back and try to find everything amiss that I have said over <laughs> the last couple of years. So. Uh good on you. All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for this episode, episode 55, I believe. Um, we got a good one. We uh, covered some covered some quality movies, have a definite recommendation for solid, you know, probably I would say like two and a half recommendations out of three, something like that. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm not really sure what's coming up. I know that I'm going to see the Guy Ritchie movie, The Covenant, pretty soon. Mm. So we'll probably talk about that. But uh, we are approaching the summer season so i'm sure there's oh probably going to get guardians three before too long anyway yeah i'm not just going to ramble on and on <laughs> i'm going to thank you for listening uh thank you mark for uh, always for your insights and knowledge and uh everybody who's uh, with us be sure to give us a like a thumbs up a follow whatever you can do on your side and we'll look forward to seeing you next time